We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. IB Nation, welcome to the Irish Breakdown Podcast. We are live here on a Friday, which of course means this is Friday free-for-all mailbag. I want to thank everybody so much. Literally every week, it just blows my absolute mind seeing how many people get in here crazy early, throw in a lot of super chats, a lot of questions in the in the chat already. We have started and ready to go. If it's your first time in a mailbag, if you just want to throw in a mailbag question, it would be very much appreciated. If you just put an ND in front of the question, it makes us... Very easy to distinguish what is a mailbag question and what is just general chat or chatter happening in the in the in the chat here on yeah. live on Irish Break Time. I was like, what's another word for a chat? <laughs> it's it's the chat. The but discussion, appreciate- the discussion going on. Yes, Brian, this is our favorite day of the week. I know it's for you. And if anybody needed proof of how much Brian Driscoll loves Friday for Fro mailbags. <laughs> You should hear him talk right now. Yes. He is gutting it out. He lost his voice yesterday, but he said, nope, not missing it two no. days in a row, baby. Let's get can't, it working. Can't so. miss the mailbag. I don't care that I sound like Barry White. We're, we're <laughs> you know, we're rocking and rolling, baby. Hey, so Ange- Angela thing. might like that. I don't know. You know, no, so. she doesn't know what Barry White is, sadly. <laughs> sadly. My wife's not nearly as cultured as I am, unfortunately, when it comes to music anyway. So, but I still love her. She makes up yes. for it in other ways. So, but yeah, well, we got a lot well, to talk well, about though, man, because we've we've yeah. had to miss a couple shows this week and Sean didn't have a show on Wednesday. We didn't do our show yesterday. So yeah, there's a lot going on, man. So there is. And yeah. If you want to ask any questions from football to Barry White and everything in between, throw them <laughs> yeah. in the chat. We're ready to get going. I don't have a here. lot of uh, trivia for Barry White other than I just know his songs. So, nice. but yeah, Are you ready to rock and roll, though, Ryan? Because we we've got thirty five starred already, yes. and uh, including a, a super chat from Tom Connor. So we certainly appreciate that, Tom. Absolutely, man. Appreciate you. Yep, absolutely. Let's, let's go and get started. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. And we had another super chat from Rob Osgood. Rob, thank you so much. You always contribute to the chat and we very much appreciate it. Hey guys, if you're the head coach, how would you prepare for fall camp? How long would you focus on Navy, um, ETS, that is East I would Tennessee? imagine he's referring to Tennessee State. Tennessee State, okay. East Tennessee State's a different school, but Tennessee State, NC State. How far do you plan for see y'all at the Duke game? I think for me, Ryan, the fact that you play Navy in game one is actually great because you don't have to spend any time, in my opinion, in fall camp dealing with Navy. What I would do is simply work on what who you are, what you do. Your advanced scouting can start working on Tennessee State and NC State, but even then, you're not going to really know what those teams are all about until you see them play. But it's do your thing. Build yourself. Look, I'm a big believer that if you have a talented team, Ryan, you focus on yourself. You get yourself ready to go. And the fact that right. you don't have – you do so what Notre Dame would do in the past is they'd set some time aside in fall camp and work on the option for whenever it was down the road. And then sure. because then because you couldn't do that. So like the last two weeks, you were prepping for your upcoming opponent. So you'd spend like sure. a week, about a week and a half uh, prepping on your ex, your upcoming opponent. So you'd have to carve out time during fall camp to work on the option. Yep. Well, since your first opponent is Navy – you can wait until that two-week period to really start working on a triple option. So if work on your fundamentals, work on your install, work on your conditioning, work on your timing, work on all the parts of, of your football team that you need to build as your foundation. And then once you've got that foundation set, then you can start spending some time on Navy. And that really only affects the defense. I mean, the offense is still comp- preparing for a normal defense. Now, normal in that, I mean, it's a it's a pressure defense, but meaning it's not an exotic you're never going to play anything like this again. You're going to play a defense similar to what Navy does two weeks later when you play NC State. 
right? Yeah. Would you agree with that, Ryan? Similar three down front, exotic blitzes, coming pressures from all over. I think Tony Gibson doesn't rely on the blitz as much as Navy does because he doesn't have no. to. Yeah. But you're going to get a similar type of, you know, type of uh, structure defensively with the three down front, the mixed up coverages and things like that. So right. it really only affects one side of the ball. And the fact that you don't have to take any time away in fall camp to focus on that helps both sides because then the offense doesn't have to worry about doing something or using its players to do something to simulate what Navy does. You just wait till the last two weeks when you've got your scout team ready to go and then give them a look. So yeah. I actually think it benefits them. And I, I don't spend I, – I wouldn't spend any time on Tennessee State and NC State from a camp standpoint because that's just one of those do what you do. Right. Then when you get into game week, you can implement the things you're going to focus on. So I'm a believer that build yourself up, focus on yourself, and you'll be ready to go. Well, I would say this too, Brian. What was so great about the Clemson game last year outside of a 35-14 to 14 final score? It was that Notre Dame just was who they were. And on paper, you're like, I don't know if Notre Dame's going to be able to run the ball quite as well against Clemson as they are against some other lesser opponents, right? Some the North Carolinas of the world. But Notre Dame said, this is who we are, Clemson, and we're going to do it, you know? And I think that sticking to that identity is very important, especially because, Rob, I mean, to your question, offensively, if you're Notre Dame, I'm not worried about the Navies and the Tennessee States of the world defensively because, I mean, let's be honest, Notre Dame has a talent advantage there. As long as you are consistent and you are playing to your strengths and that you're not making just dumb mistakes, you know, just killing yourselves, you should be able to move the ball against both those teams relatively easy. You should. And I think another important and key thing too, Brian, talking about the triple option is, Navy might look a little bit different this year, right? Like, I mean, there's still going to be the option elements of the offense, but is there going to be, uh, there's the word is, is that it's going to still look a little bit different. So I also don't want to spend too much time preparing for them in general uh, outside of the first couple of weeks, uh, last couple of weeks, like you said, because you're also preparing for something that's a little bit of a question mark right now. You don't hundred percent know exactly what you're going to get from Navy. So I agree with you in the sense of like, don't over prepare for the option because yes, we're going to run some triple option. But what other wrinkles are you going to have in there? It's almost impossible to predict at this point in this offseason. I got a question down here, Ryan, from uh, Jared Grace, former Notre Dame linebacker, also an Ohio guy. He just put this in there. I didn't hear anything about this, but this is fascinating. Go ahead and read this one, Ryan. Yeah, Jared says, Troy Smith and Braxton Miller recently acquired the new, the now defunct Urbana University in Springfield, Ohio. Urbana University. I only know that because I coached against them. Gotcha. Urbana University in Springfield, Ohio. The speculation is that they want an IMG type place in the north. Any thoughts on something like that? I think that'd be phenomenal. And with one condition, if they truly look at that as an opportunity to develop young people to create, to get them to the next level without it becoming an Ohio State factory, that would be my issue. If like the guys running it are always trying to push kids to Ohio State. I'll have a problem with that. Like I don't, which I, which think, I worry. Which again, no shot to Troy uh, at Troy Smith or Brax Miller, but like you do worry about that. That's always a concern. Just like right. it would be if like uh, two, you know, Jerome Bettis and Todd Light launched one. That'd be the same question mark that Ohio State fans would have, right? And it'd be fair because I think you should always encourage kids to do what's best for them, not for them to follow in your path. I, I just I believe that's the right thing to do. But Jared, if they were willing to do something like that, I think that would be great. And and. I would hope that they would do it in a way where they're also emphasizing the academic side of it. Cause IMG actually, from what I understand, actually uh, 
is got some aspects of it from an academic standpoint that are strong. I've been told, I don't know if football players do that, but as long as they are focused on the holistic aspect of it, because here's what I don't want to have. And this is what concerns me is you start having things like this pop up and it's just so focused on sports, 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 sports that they're not developing young people. Like I think it would be something where, cause it'll be a boarding school most likely. Right. That's what I would, I would try to have it be that way. Even for Ohio kids, like, you know, we'd, we'd like for you to stay here because that's all part of the, of the, um, the, the learning process, but make it to where it's about academics. Make sure that you're, because you're going to get a lot of elite players. Make sure you have things built into your academic program that have to deal with finances, that have to deal with marketing, that have to deal with those things on top of the normal stuff you have to take for high school. I think there'd be a ton of merit to that. Like, if I could create a, an institution like that, Ryan, if I was like a billionaire, I would absolutely yep. do something like that and say, hey, the, and it would be for football, basketball, all types of athletes. And, but it would also be an elite academic institution as well, where I'm really trying to, to develop people holistically. Because I think there's there's a lot of issues I have with the current education system at the college and the high school level. I was talking with somebody about this the other day. It's like things that, that we should be teaching young people or not. You know, and we're t- and we have all these majors. You know, pe- people crying about how, you know, I shouldn't have to pay back my student loans, and I'm somewhat sympathetic to it because we've created this universe where if you don't get a college degree, can't get a good job. That's the perception. Now, I would tell people that's the perception. That's not the reality. Go to there's a lot of people looking for plumbers and electricians and things, and people scoff. I'm like, those people make good money. Those are valuable jobs. I would die. I would. I would love to have a handyman that lived around here that we could hire and that other people could hire that could fix all these projects around the house that I'm not capable of fixing or don't have the time to fix. Like there's value in that, but we've convinced kids it's better to go to college, take out hundreds of thousand dollars of loan to take your French poetry major, which, and then cry about how I can't get a job to pay my loans back. Well, that's a broken system. There's a lot of things we could do. There's a push coming out now saying like, uh, you know, these schools, these billion dollars endowments, they should be taken from their endowment to pay off kids who they couldn't then place. Like if you can't place a kid into a, into a job that's not allowing him to pay back his loans, that's on you, right? But the, the whole point is we're training people for things that don't really matter to me when it comes to preparing them to be outstanding human beings and thrive in life in all aspects of it. And to me, if you're going to start a school that's not a public school, that's absolutely needs to be a big part of it is something that is building up student athletes and students holistically. And, and I'm talking economically, spiritually, uh, emotionally, physically, and all those different ways. If they were to do something like that and not be like a, Hey, we're doing this to push all these kids to Ohio state. And I would love that idea. I, I would be all about that. Honestly, as long as they, it doesn't become that, Ohio State football factory. Because I think that's something yeah. that the IMG school has always been pretty good at. They don't push kids to Alabama, you know, Florida right. State or anything like that. It's it's geared towards, you know, we're, we're trying to build you up. Now, does that help? Um, does it help the Southern schools that all those kids are right there? Absolutely, it does. Absolutely, it does. But it's not, they're not necessarily pushing them there, right? right. And, and that's what I would say. So, yeah, I would... And then I would love to see one start up in the Southwest because I would like to see kids do those things more regionally. Yeah. To be honest with you, like I would love, I would have rather have Robert Hainsey been able to do something like that in in Southwest Ohio than have to go down to, to Florida. I know it would have been great for the Hainsey family, you know, because yeah. in home games were within driving distance. And then, you know, maybe start one of those type of things in Texas and then start one out, you know, in California and start having these 
these institutions that are built on, you know, holistic development of young people in all aspects, not just athletics, man, that'd be tremendous and something that I would absolutely get behind. Absolutely get behind that. So yes, as long as they're not athletic factories where kids can just get by an academic, say, don't worry about it, man. Just we'll, we'll give you the B don't sweat it. And cause we're just trying to get you a scholarship. No, 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 no. Can't be that. As long as it's not that and not pushing kids to one school, I'm all for it, man. All for it. Well, that was my first concern though. When I read the question, I was like, so two Ohio state guys are building something in Ohio. Like that just sounds like feeder to me again. I yeah, two Ohio state kids creating a school right. and an hour away from less than an hour away from Columbus Hmm. Right. right. So you're going to not only pull like the Ohio kids, you're going to start pulling just a lot of the Midwest kids and now steering towards Ohio state. Like I, again, that's just what I read it as. And I don't know Troy Smith personally. I don't know Braxton Miller personally. So I'm sure that I'm sure, I'm sure that they probably have the best intentions with this sure. and there's probably an unbiased look outlook, but that's just, that is my concern though. Right. Reading this question. So I agree with you, yeah. Brian. I think that if it's done well to Jared's question, I think it could be very beneficial. Love the idea. Very beneficial. Love the idea, Jerry. Because then you start introducing know. kids not only to like nutrition and doing all like the, the the football side of stuff, but also the rigor of academics. To your point of yeah. IMG Academy, it is good, and I think that does start yeah. preparing some kids more beneficially for the next level. So I think it can be very and beneficial. If I am, if it's and if I, yeah, and if I'm a school, gear, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Ryan. I just no, you're fine. Uh, if I'm a school that's geared towards elite athletes as well. You better darn well believe my student athletes are going to have an NI. There's going to be an NIL situation on our campus where if you want to come for one of our kids to an NIL deal, they're going to, you're, we're going to, we're going to have their back. You know, if you want to be an agent that wants to work with our young people, we're going to make sure that our young people that are here aren't screwing, aren't getting screwed over with these 20% fees and things like that, right? I mean, like we're going to protect our kids. We're going to teach our kids. Uh, we're going to help them understand their value, their worth both as young men and young women uh, outside of uh, outside of the football field. And I'm talking about as human beings, we're going to help them understand their value and their worth uh, when it comes to athletics. We're going to help them understand their value and their worth when it comes to marketing and branding. Absolutely. And so uh, I, I would be all about that. And so you have to have those things as part of it, man. Like they're there. And that's comes to the classes we're going to take, you know, you want to come here, you, you you're going to take econ classes. You're going to take communications classes. You're going to take marketing classes as part of, of part of your package to prepare you for that next level. Because if you're going to come here, this is how it would be for me if I had the money. If you're going to come here, you're coming here to commit to excellence in everything you do. Everything you do, not just football. If you just want to go to a football factory, head, head down somewhere else, right? But if you're going to come here, you're committing to we're striving for excellence in everything you do. And that's what we demand, because I think we need to demand more of that of young people. Just because a kid is a great athlete doesn't mean that his value is completely wrapped up in that athletic talent, because that could be gone tomorrow. And then what did you do for that young man or that young woman to develop them to thrive if that sport is taken away? If that young man goes and blows his knee out and he can't play basketball at the high level that he does now, and people say, well, you don't mean anything to me. You know, you, you've heard these stories about how these NBA guys lose all their money and all of a sudden they're best friends and their hangers on. They're not cool with them anymore because they were only in it for the money. So are we developing these young people to where they understand that we're going to teach you to strive for excellence in everything you do? If we had more of that, I would be all for it because then now we're you, these sharks are going to try to come for our kids and they're going to like, no, nah, man, I'm not fooling with those kids at Driscoll's place because those kids, and they see right through RBS. And if the ones that don't, 
they've got people there to make sure that they don't see through our BS, right? So I would be all about that, all about that. No question. No question. So that'd be fun, man. I'd be, yeah, I would love that. Great great question, Jared. Somebody said, coach, you should start your own institute. Hey, give me a billion dollars and I will. (laughs) (laughs) But (laughs) that's about all I can, I can afford. I can't even afford to do that for any, for one kid, much less a bunch. So yeah, that'd be, that'd be fun. Thanks for bringing that to our attention, Jared. I appreciate that, man. That was, that was interesting. Our next super chat is from Alejandro Cornell. Alejandro, thank you so much. What are three things schematically to look for in weeks one through three that will excite you going into Ohio State game? So offensively, Ryan, I want to see a a heavier dose of sound RPOs. I want to see some some vertical concepts beyond just throwing straight bombs, right? Because like, yeah, it's good to, you know, you can just drop back and throw a bunch of go routes against Tennessee State and, and have some big plays in Central Michigan and Navy and have some big plays. But you try that against Ohio State and, a, you're not going to be able to have the ball that long. Two, you know, their corners aren't going to get torched that easily. You know, that kind of thing. So I want to see some concepts that are creating, getting guys open down the field, not just go routes. So you throw go routes, but that if that's all you got and that's not working, you're like, well, got nothing else. And right. nowhere else we can go. So have some stuff that you can kind of do with horizontal stretches, vertical stretches that are allowing you to attack them down the field. And then I want to see a schematically, I want to see a diverse run game. That's what I want to see. I, I don't want to see 87,000 straight duo runs, you know, and, and so I want to see a little bit of a, a change up. And I'm not one of those people that's like, hold on to your stuff until you get to game five. No, screw that. If you try to hold stuff back for Ohio State, you may not beat NC State. Right. Right. So uh, that's what I would want to see is, is some of that diversity on offense, right? I'll, I'll start with offense and then we can go to defense. But what are yours on offense that you look for? I mean, you, you mentioned the one that I was going to say is diversity of the run game. Like that's one thing. I, I think that is. Spe- I think that's honestly why you saw inconsistency from a game to game stretch of being able to run the football well enough last year. Like some games against like Clemson, fantastic. Some game against USC, not quite as good. I think it's because it's predictable a lot of right. the times, right? Like you knew what Notre Dame was trying to accomplish, and you knew how they were trying to accomplish enough. You ha- you're going to have a very talented offensive line this year. You're going to have a very talented uh, group of running backs to lean on this year. And you're going to have a quarterback where if defenses are just going to say, I'm going to load up the box and just stop the run. It's like, okay, (laughs) have fun with that. We'll spread you out and we'll be able to take advantage of that, you know, that loaded box. So I think diversity of run games, a big thing. I don't want to be able to predict. We were at the Syracuse game last year, right, Brian? It's like, What's coming? Duo. And there's just duo, nothing Syracuse can do duo. about it. Right. right. And th- that's awesome that you can bully a team like that, but it's also not sustainable on a week-to-week basis because there's going to be teams that are better equipped to stop that run at some point in your season. We saw that at times last year in 2022. So the diversity of run game would be my biggest thing. I also I agree with your first uh, – I think it was your second point – you need to be able to create some explosive plays in the passing game more by working vertically. Like I really think that like that was one thing where, and we know the troubles that Notre Dame had throwing the football consistently throughout the season after obviously Tyler Buckner got hurt. And even with Tyler Buckner, the first couple of games, but you really need to be able to, because I think pass protection is going to be very good in 2023 from the offensive line. You are going to be able to make need to make more explosive plays, and you do that by vertically pressing this team. And you saw it a little bit 
in the blue gold game. You saw James Thomas get open for a big play. You saw, you know, some explosive plays obviously are going to be there for Notre Dame. So I think that's the two biggest thing offensively that I'm going to be looking for. Defensively, for me, Brian, I'm only going to say one. There's just one thing that I want to see mostly. I want to see a schematically a bigger approach to being a one-gap penetration-style defense, which you did not see enough of. I don't want to see too many head-up techniques of Howard Cross trying to two-gap. Like I just don't want to see that. I want to see slanting. I want to see guys that are going to line up in a gap or on an outside or inside shoulder and try to create a play inside. That's going to make everyone better. That's going to create chaos. It's going to create penetration. It's going to create negative plays. I'm there for that defensively. I want to just quickly go back to the, the quickly to that run game thing to to make a point to you, Ryan, or that that to back up what you were saying is Notre Dame ran for 263 yards against Clemson, but in two of the next three games they were held to 90 yards or less by Navy and by USC. And a big reason why is because USC and Navy did a lot of stunting and a lot of movement where they just clogged up the box and said we're not going to let you run on us. Part of the reason Notre Dame had success against Clemson in Syracuse is to a degree, especially Clemson, they just lined up and said, we're good enough to stop you. We're not going to do anything different than we normally do. And they were right. wrong. Yeah. Right. Cause Notre Dame was good enough to do that. Other teams said, we know we're not good enough to stop you. So we know that schematically we're going to do things. We're going to make you beat us with your quarterback. And Notre Dame wasn't good enough to do that against USC. And they were barely good enough to do that against Navy. And if it wasn't for a great first half that, you know, who knows how that game pans out, but they did what they needed to do. So yes, diversity of the run game is is very important very important and i don't necessarily to a degree i don't necessarily fault tommy reese for what he did last year to a degree i I still think there needed to be more diversity but it's kind of like you didn't have any sort of perimeter threat throwing a football mainly because your quarterback and then one of your fastest receivers just was in his head all year you couldn't trust throwing him the ball because you didn't know if he was going to catch it talking about lorenzo styles and you were in a situation where Okay, we have to do this to win. So if we're going to run duo, then we're going to run duo 15 different ways. And that's one thing I will give them credit for. They ran duo a million times, but they didn't run it. They just line up in the same formation over and over again. I mean, they got real creative with how they got to duo. They even even started running some like almost cross zone action out of duo, which is something I've never really seen before. Never seen seen that. Never seen it. Yeah. And they really they really introduced that against Clemson uh, with the in a lot of ways. And then there were times they would bring that guy and he wouldn't actually back block he would actually then lead so they would hit that and then bounce out and then Jaden thomas basically turns into a lead blocker on the perimeter so uh you know they they got creative with it i understand to a degree why they did it i I don't necessarily agree with that i think they still should have mixed in inside zone i mean that's again you have chris tyree there let him be your change up right but it it is what it is but i'd like to see that defensively ryan that's a great point be more aggressive but yep. be sound in your aggressiveness. Don't be yes. John Tenuta. Don't be, you know, be sound in your aggressiveness. Alex Grinch. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> right. Yes. A- a- another thing that I would like to see schematically too, Ryan, is I would like to see a little bit more alignment diversity this year. So not so much a scheme thing, but I wouldn't with a different type of Viper. I think you can be more multiple in how you lined up. They were a bit in a, when you have Isaiah Foskey as your Viper, Marcus Freeman learned this in the first half of the 2021 season when he was trying to, you remember like Florida state first four or five games, he'd try to have first three, four games. He'd have Foskey like stacked. I was like, no, that ain't, that ain't it, bro. That's not the way to go. And then he said, okay, it's not going to work. Let's just leave him here. But I would say, um, I would say, I'd look at it and say, 
that's that's more you can with Jordan Patoho and Jay and Junior Tualamaka and Josh Burnham, you can do a lot more of that where you're moving. And even if it's still a, you know, you're not lined up in a stack, but you move them around, put them over the three technique and and, and right. do some different things there and play some line games. But that fits into what you're talking about, Ryan. If you're going to do more of that, you have it has to be a a cross action slants, twist, ETs, NTs, all that kind of stuff where it's about quickness and penetration and those type of things. There's absolutely, you know, I want to see the linebackers crashing a lot harder this year. So when they go, really go. I'm not someone who wants to blitz my linebackers a million times. When you, when you do, have them hit hard and fast. Yeah. And and they didn't always do that last year. And I think those are things you can do now that you're in year two. Coverage-wise, I don't want to get too cute. I really don't. I, I And Marcus Freeman talked about this in the article that we put out at Irish Breakdown, Ryan. He's like, where we're going to get more creative is what we do pre-snap. So we'll get to things in a lot of different ways. And and I and I thought that made a lot of sense, to be honest yep. with you. You don't have to run you if you run four coverages, but you get to those four coverages fifteen different ways, and you can get yep. to each of them with the same look, then it makes it really hard for me as a quarterback to know what you're about to roll to. Yep. Right. I mean, it just does. And so those are things that um the more you can get a quarterback to guess and an offensive coordinator to guess the better chance you have of creating more mistakes and turnovers and things like that, Ryan, which was obviously a big problem for the defense last year. Yep. And, and, don't, don't, and I, I like the, I don't want to call it simplistic, but I mean, don't, don't go away from what you are from a coverage perspective, because we already know that your cornerbacks are going to be excellent in 2023. Right. Like they're going to be very good. So play to that strength, man. Like, I don't care if they know that I'm going to run man right. X percent of the time. To it, your point, it's about the, Make sure you're disguising it a little bit. Don't just line up the and, same and they every got to single that, time. Ryan, second half of the year with two exceptions. What are the two games they didn't do that? Navy and USC. Navy understand because it's a different animal. Right. And then USC, I still don't like it. I still think it was wrong, but I understand it because you didn't have Cam Hart or Tariq Bracey. I mean, you had two of your three best cover guys were out. So, I mean, I get it. Yep. I didn't like what they did, but I but I get it. But to your point, you, that's one side of the ball, especially at corner where you don't have to get cute. Now, if you want to mix it up between one and two man and some other type of different man looks, sure, go for it. But let Cam Hart and Benjamin Morrison go do their thing. That especially the boundary, especially the boundary. I do true. think there's times when maybe having Cam be up at corner can limit you a little bit because you, you you don't allow him to kind of fly down the way that you'd want. But yeah, I, yeah, I I think, but that's where the disguise thing comes from. You know, have have Cam playing off ball, and they think they're going to bang a quick route, but then at the snap, Cam's flying downhill, and he's, you know, what I mean. There's just different things you can do that I think can create some some big mistakes okay. for other teams. Yeah, good stuff. Here's a bit of a negative question, but a valid one, so we'll answer it. Crying Belly says, "What is the worst play call? Double safety blitz against Ohio State or jet sweep to Jaden Thomas on the goal line against Stanford? Both were pretty the, bad. Both the jet sweep bad. was was the worst because here's my thing about the double safety blitz against Ohio State. In theory, it wasn't a bad call. It wasn't a bad call if Tariq Bracy doesn't get hurt to play before. Right. It was a bad call because of the circumstances. Yep. It wasn't a bad call on the board." Right, Ryan, like if you and I were just draw this up with no context and we're just doing X's and O's and we're not saying who is this X here, uh, we would have said, yeah, I like that. I like that. I like that call in that situation. Yeah. But it was a situational awareness that I that I think was the problem for Coach Golden in that situation is, hey, not only did Tariq get hurt, 
but he got hurt and there was a timeout. Right. So it's not like he quickly limped off the field in Ohio State didn't have time to prepare for him being off. And now there was a timeout. They knew he wasn't going to be there and they knew who the nickel had been when he was out. It was always, it was going to be Jade Mickey. And they went right at it, which was smart. But that call, the, the, there was no justification for the Jaden Thomas. When, when you look at all the, the athletes you have on your team, Jaden Thomas can do a lot of things. That's not a, a situation to me in a condensed situation. Like if you want to give Jaden Thomas a jet sweep on, the 35 yard line. All right. I mean, I, I get it. I mean, Ben Skronik freaking scored on the jet sweep for Pete's sake. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, and Jaden <laughs> Thomas is a good athlete, but on a condensed field, you need a guy that's got some speed. First of all, it was a stupid call. And that's the other part of it, too, Ryan, is you gave it to the wrong guy. And number yes. two, that's a horrible place to run that play because yes. you weren't close enough to the goal line where you could get out of it. And you weren't, you, you know, and you weren't far enough away from the goal line to where there weren't going to be overhang guys. And number three, the reason it's a dumb call is you don't ever make that call on, on that type of action. You make that call on a, he stays lined up. You do a hard handoff fake to Audric estimate to suck the defense down. And then you reverse it. You don't even yeah. jet sweep it. You and reverse it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If yeah. you're going to do it there, that's how you do it. Ryan. Right. Uh, you know, but, uh, they obviously didn't do it that way. It didn't work. And you also need to give Jaden Thomas. I actually like the idea of the end around a lot more because you need to give Jason Th- Jaden Thomas also a little bit of a running start, right? Because right. he's not the most explosive athlete of right. all time. He's a good athlete. Does he's a lot of things. Shake well. if he can get vertical, Ryan. But I when mean, you have a jet sweep, it's all about speed, right? Exactly. Jet sweep is all about speed. It's all about getting to the corner, yep. and that's a Chris Tyree. Lorenzo Styles, Braden Lindsay type situation. That's not yeah. uh, that's not using your personnel, in my I, opinion. I, I will say I would have loved for that double safety blitz. Like if you're going to do a double safety blitz in that situation, even can we creep one safety up a little bit more so the timing might be a little bit better? Right. I mean, that was just the most slow developing thing of all time. And then I, if I had to throw another uh, bad call, Brian, I mean, I, I hate to open wounds, but the South Carolina game where your Audrey Gessme is just gashing the defense and South Carolina is about to tap out. And then you throw that pass into the end zone that gets picked off yeah. and take it back. That was a, yeah. another not great call. Another not great call in that situation. Yeah. No doubt about yeah. it. Again, I understand it, but you just, you don't put a, like if you actually look at the play and you break it down schematically, it makes a lot of sense. If it's not there, you throw it in the back of the end zone, but sure. you're asking a kid who hasn't played in three months to make that read. And that's exactly. the problem that I had, right? It's the situational exactly. awareness. It's like, it's like the uh, the throw against Tulsa, right? Yep. My biggest problem with that throw was that you were asking Tommy Reese to do it. It wasn't a schem- – if you had Dane Crystal in the game with his big arm, if Dane misses Michael Floyd in the end zone, it's because he throws it five feet out of bounds. That's just how Dane – he doesn't underthrow it. He overthrows it, which is fine because you're in field goal range. You're okay. Let Floyd go up and get it. If he doesn't, you move on. But you're asking a freshman who didn't have a very big arm anyway who was very unathletic to roll out and throw a vertical pass. It was just a dumb, it was no situational awareness. Right. And that's, those are the calls that drive me nuts. And that's why to me, that call, uh, that call that both of those calls were terrible from a situational awareness standpoint, but at least the safety blitz made some schematic sense. The jet sweep to to Jaden Thomas didn't make sense in any way, shape, form or fashion, in my opinion. Well, so I, uh, coaches, yeah. coaches just overthink things a lot. We know that for a fact, right? Like some coaches just like, again, you're right. I, the pl- actual pass play 
They got intercepted in the bowl game against South Carolina. It's not a bad idea schematically, right? Like it's not a bad idea. But after, I mean, it was about to be a USC Quentin Nelson situation, though, Brian. Like that South Carolina team was tapping out, man. Like, please stop. Stop running yes. the ball, Audric. Please. Yes. We're done, man. We're done. No moss. No but, moss. Yes. Put the put the nail in the coffin, man. End it. End it. And you take a couple minutes off the clock if you don't run it in there. Because it was first down, exactly. wasn't it? Yes. So if so. you if you don't make down. your first couple plays and you don't score, you take two minutes off the clock. Yes. And as you said, I mean, the, the run that showed you that they were done was when they hit two, three guys hit Audric in the backfield. And he just pu- just pushed them for like a three or two, three yard game. Like, you remember yes. that? I think that was on that drive. Yeah. I mean, just they were they were tapped out. They were just they were we don't, just stop hitting me. You know what I mean? Like, just please stop punching me in the face. That's basically how it was, right? It was, it was that. And that that was that was one of those games too, where Audric was getting stronger as the game went. You know, like we didn't see that all the time during the season, but wearing down in that fourth quarter, you're like Audric is starting to run harder, and the defense is starting to tap out, and it was time to put the nail in, and they did not do it. So, yeah, absolutely. But they still won the football game, so that's all that matters in the end. That's right. I hear some people got jokes today, right? Domer Grizz says, I've been out of the country for a week. What did I miss? Okay. <laughs> what are some of your favorite sports curses? Do you think we'll ever get past the upper stadium blocking touchdown Jesus view of the field? I mean, <laughs> I didn't even know that was a thing. I'd never wow. heard of that before. Yeah. Uh, the funny thing is, Ryan, all my favorite curses are gone. Right, the Red Sox, the curse of the Ambino, that's gone because yeah. they've yeah. won what multiple World Series since then. The goat thing with the Cubs is gone because they've won a World Series, right? Didn't the Cubs won a World Series relatively? Yeah, I think they won one recently, few, right? a couple years ago. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I don't, I don't know of any curses that still exist, honestly. So, yeah. but the mine was the the curse of the Bambino because it was just a cool. I mean, it was just a funny story, you know. The the, the Madden curse. Are we going to put the Madden curse up there? Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah, that's an interesting one. In that, like, either I, I, the turtle doesn't play well or whatever. Yeah, I think there have been one or two people on the on the cover though that have now had good seasons afterwards. Gotcha. So I don't think it's quite as much. But yeah, gotcha. Very interesting. Very I don't interesting. believe in curses. I don't believe in. Curses. Neither do I. And that's what was yeah. a here. Here was the next question, right? Which kind of plays into that, which is kind yeah. of uh, along those same lines. John Climax says, Brian or Ryan, did you have a pregame superstition? Again, I wasn't someone who believed in superstition. I am a very um, set in my ways kind of guy, Ryan. I'm a I'm a structured guy when it came to games, so I did. I wouldn't say that I had superstitions like "Where's my dirty socks" or anything like that. It was more about um, it, it was more about okay, this is this is what I do. This is my preparation. I do this. I do this. I put this on first. I do that. But it's just more about getting into a routine to where mentally I was locked into what I was doing. You know, right. so I'd listen to certain music and, you know, those type of things. So it was more about structure than it was superstition. Like if my mom washed my socks the night before, I was like, fine, whatever. I don't, you know, it's like, I'm glad you did. Cause I'm not putting on funky, dirty clothes. Right. I was, <laughs> I was not a superstition person. I was a structure. This is the way, this is my process type right. of person before games. Yeah. I mean, I was just a music guy before games and I don't consider that superstitious as well, mm-hmm. because that's just. Right. Just what I do when I want to relax, right? I mean, like that's, that's right place. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I would also listen to music if I'm just 
having a bad day or something, right. you know? Like, it's not because, oh, I'm superstitious that I'll have another bad day if I don't listen to music. It's right. Just, oh, I didn't listen process. to this particular song. I, you know, it wasn't like that. Yeah. Right. I, I guess one, sorry to backtrack real quick, okay. but I guess one superstitious thing, I guess, sort of, is I was a big believer, though, Brian, if I didn't have a good week of practice, it was going to go into the get game. in your head yeah, yeah but i don't know if that's a superstition a that's just about yeah. how you feel going into a test that you didn't study for right like uh i yeah. didn't prepare for this test the right way i don't think i'm going to do very well <laughs> you know what i mean yep yeah next question from connor granite super chat thank you so much connor if notre dame fails to meet expectation this year what position group do you think would be most responsible i'm gonna go one one on each side of the ball ryan i'm gonna go okay. offensive line and defensive line. I think it's kind of okay. an easy answer. But if you were to say I can't use both lines, and I'd say offensive line and okay. linebackers would be my two reasons. My two uh, my two reasons why. Right. As far as a, a non injury related answer, okay. right? So like you know, Sam Hartman gets hurt. Okay, this team's sure. gonna have a hard time living up to expectations, but. Uh, as far as it's not injury related, those are going to be my answers. Because like, if the receivers don't play as as you hope, they're still going to win a ton of games. Right. Receivers don't have to be phenomenal for them to be ten and two or better. They just have to be okay. Because the if the offensive line is as good as we think, and the running backs and Sam Hartman that kind of thing. So I'm going to go. If the O line underachieves, though, then I think the all, entire offense is not going to be as good as it needs to be. And I feel the same way about the defensive line on the other side. Of yeah. The but I think linebackers could also have a very negative impact if they don't get better. But I, I expect them to. Uh, I really do. Defensive line for me, for sure, on the defense side of the ball. I was actually thinking wide receivers, though, Brian, because I, I think I just, I think wide receivers are a little more volatile right now. Sure. Like I just don't think there's a world where the offensive line is not at least good, right? Like right. at least good. Wide receivers, there's still a little bit of volatility to how sure. good they can be. Like they could be very good or they could just be fine, right? Like my, they're fine. Yeah. My thought process, though, is still if Sam Hartman, Sam Hartman, and Audric estimates, Audric estimate, the offensive line and the tight ends are what they are, and the receivers are just okay. That's still really good. That's this team is still really good. Right. I don't disagree with that. I guess yeah. my question would be, would it be good enough to beat Ohio State and the big three on the schedule consistently? That would well, be my question. It was good. It, it was it's still going to be better than what it was last year when you destroyed Clemson and took Ohio State down to the wire. Sure. Right. Like because what what was the issue against Ohio State? The receivers didn't play that well, but you know who else didn't play that well? The offensive line. And that was a big yeah. problem in that game last year. And so to me, this team showed if the offensive line plays to its potential. You don't need your quarterback to go throw for 350 yards and your receivers to make a bunch of Randy Moss-style catches. You don't need that. You can still run the ball and just make your normal plays that they've already shown that they can make, right? Like, if Deion Coles, he's just who he was last year. And Tobias Merriweather is just, is just simply what Braden Lindsay was last year. And Jaden Thomas just is what he was last year. And Matt Salerno is what he was last year. I still think they're going to be better. Yes, they lost Michael Mayer. But I think when you look at the incoming freshmen, there's more depth. The running game should still be good. The offensive line is expected to be really good. And you have a quarterback that can make some of the throws that were there last year to be had. Then, yeah, I think this team can win those games. I do. I mean, there were two throws against Ohio State, Ryan. One was on the offensive line. One was on the quarterback uh, that completely changed the, the, the outlook of that game. I think Notre Dame was up 10 to seven both times. Uh, and, Lorenzo Styles just smoked a DB and they ran that wide fade 
that they liked to run last year. And Lorenzo had the guy by three steps and Tyler just overthrew him. You hit that throw. Sam Hardman hits that throw. It's probably a touchdown. At the very least, it's first and goal. Right. And so that changes the, if that now all of a sudden second, third quarter, you have 17, seven, that puts a little bit of pressure on Ohio state. Cause here's the thing about that game last year, Ohio state, even though they were trailing almost the entire first three quarters, they were never, they were never pressured because they were always down a, a field goal, right? It was like 10 to seven for like a long time. I think Notre Dame went up three, nothing. Then Ohio state scored to go up seven, three, and then Notre Dame scored to go up 10 to three. Right. And then Notre Dame led that way for like, you know, the rest of the second quarter and then all in the third quarter until like, what like less than a minute left in the third quarter when Ohio State finally took the lead. If all of a sudden early in the third quarter, Notre Dame goes out there and goes up 17 to seven, that's the first time Ohio State's felt pressured all day, all day. Now, they may have been fine because they had C.J. Stroud. They may have been fine. They may have just gone right down the field and answered with a touchdown, right? Um, but you at least would have been able to say, hey, we, we put some pressure on them. They still made more plays and they were the better team. But when you miss those opportunities, it's like you, because you miss those throws. And then later, uh, Braden Lindsey was open even more. And a Mike, a Mike Blitz came free untouched and just drilled Tyler and have a chance to get the throw off. So to me, I, you're completely right, Ryan. I think where, where I would agree with you is if we're talking, um, if they're a playoff team, they can't win a game in the playoff or be better than 10 and two if the receivers don't make plays that I'll agree with you on. But to me, I guess I would say 10 and two is not a failing to live up to expectations unless it's 10 and two and you got blown out in both games. But my point is they didn't get blown out by either one of those teams last year at their places with the receiving core that I expect to be worse than the one this year. If guys simply are just who they are last year would be the way I would look at it. And you've got a much better quarterback. So, um, yeah, I think the offensive line is the one. They go eight and four. It's not yeah. because of the receivers, right? That That's that fair. would be my point. It would be because the offensive line is not as good as you expect it to be. That would be That's my fair. bigger question. We had so. Vince that was checking in from the beach, by the way. Yeah. Man. It's a good yeah. idea. That's yeah. right. Vince up in Michigan, having some fun, relaxing. Are there beaches, it, in yeah. beaches in Michigan? Yeah. There's some very beautiful beaches in Michigan. Really? Yeah. Yeah, because the lake like there it. is huge. Oh, I mean, the lake. Got it. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. huge. Yeah, well, Vin, Vin, Vince is Vince is a grinder though, so he's going to jump on the show in a minute. I can feel it. I can feel it in my bones on yeah. the beach. Yeah. We had a super chat from Andrew Gilmore. Andrew, thank you so much. We have struggled in four of six quarters against Jim Knowles' defense, Oklahoma State and Ohio State. If you were Parker, how would you attack the four-two-five? So they they did not they have not struggled in four of six quarters against the Jim Knowles defense. Uh, if you're going to refer to Jim Knowles himself, Jim Knowles obviously didn't call the game against Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl. However, if you're going to mean it from the Jim Knowles style of defense, then that's that's fair, and I'll answer it that way. So I'll make sure that people understand that, that that don't know. And I'm assuming, based on the way Andrew posts, he knows that. So we're talking stylistically. I think what it really comes down to is you have to be balanced. What hurt them in the second in the in both games, Ryan? couldn't run the football you have to find a way to run the football and I don't think the way that Ohio State plays you can just line up and run smash mouth football on them you know if you look at what Michigan did last year Michigan hit them with downhill runs they mixed them up with counters they would run reverses they'd have quarterback runs even though Michigan made their living running in between the tackles they did so much formationally and movement wise and running wise that they that Ohio State couldn't just tee on a and b gap right and then when Ohio State did start getting a little bit peaky, 
what would they do? They'd hit some leak the tight end out, you know, leak a running back down the field, something like that, where you take advantage of the downfield shot, right? And Notre Dame just didn't have that level of creativity last year. The fact is, is that they could not run the football. And then against Jim Knowles last year, they had struggle, they had trouble protecting the quarterback. And and Ohio State brought some some really well designed blitzes, in my opinion. The interesting thing is. You know, Ohio State won't have all summer to prepare for just the Notre Dame game, although they're going to do a lot for Notre Dame because they play Indiana, Western Kentucky, and Youngstown State before Notre Dame. So I don't think they're going to not – they're going to have some Notre Dame work in fall camp, I can assure you of that. But it really just comes down to you've got to find a way to be balanced, and and that means you've got to find a way to establish a run game. And if you look at the games where Ohio State has 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 had problems defensively, a lot of times it comes down to teams that can run the football on them and not even gash them, just teams that can have some level of success. But then there's other games where teams run the ball for a good amount of yards, but they can't throw. Like Wisconsin actually ran for 192 yards against Ohio State last year, right? They got blown out because they couldn't throw the ball. You have to have some level of balance. Look at the, the Oregon game two years ago that Ohio State lost. 269 rushing yards, 236 passing yards. Remember how Ohio State struggled against Minnesota until Muhammad Ibrahim got knocked out of that game. They were losing that game. 203 rushing yards, 205 passing yards. I mean, the, the teams that have, have really – Michigan, 297 rushing, 190 passing. Utah, 226 rushing, 237 passing. Now, those were not Jim Knowles' defenses, but the story was the same last year, Ryan. Teams that would give him problems, more often than not, are teams that could establish some level of balance. Michigan did that last year. Georgia did that to a degree last year. They weren't running great, but they at least kept Ohio State honest, which then opened up some big play opportunities in the play-action game. Penn State could not be balanced. And that's why Ohio State eventually kind of ran away with that one because Penn State's inability to, to really move the ball and have success in that regard kept kept Ohio State from still like from falling behind really at any point in time, if that makes sense. And then Ohio State was able to, you know, with the, the, the JT, Tuyalam, or whatever, uh, made some huge plays defensively in the second half of that game. And then Ohio State started to, you know, hit a, hit a couple of plays, and the next thing you know, it's it's not close anymore, right? It's a blowout. You have to be able to, to be balanced. Because what's the other part about being that way, Ryan? When you can run the football, what else does that mean? Not even just Jim Knowles' defense. But you know who's not on the field? That offense. I mean, that, right. that's really what it comes down to. Michigan kept that offense, which actually did relatively well in the first half against Michigan last year. It kept that offense from getting into any kind of rhythm in the second half. Because if you went three and out, you weren't going to have the ball for 15 minutes the way that Michigan was running on Ohio State last year. And you've got to be able to do that as well. So not only does it allow you to be physical and establish the line of scrimmage and be balanced and all that kind of stuff, but it keeps their offense off the field. That's the biggest yeah. thing for me, right? I still can't believe that you threw so much shade at the fighting penguins of Youngstown State. They're not preparing Ohio State or uh, adequately. Just saying. Just, Just saying. Yeah. We know it's all true. We know it's all true. <laughs> Well, I I think, um, I mean, when you think of Notre Dame against Oklahoma State, and I know that Jim Knowles is obviously not calling that defense, but structurally it was the same, Brian. Mm -hmm. I remember the guy that had one of the more impressive games was Lorenzo Styles in the RPO game, man. Like, that was a big thing. So, ability to run the football. Yes. Ability to run the football and to make that nickel a little bit in between on what his responsibilities yep. are. Cause they took advantage of Tanner McAllister in that game. He did not have a yep. great game against Notre Dame right. when he was with Oklahoma yeah. state. So I think ability to run the football, absolutely. And then working off of it with the RPO game, I think could be big for them. As in well. the RPO part, Ryan is you have to have answers for the pressures. 
You have to put their, you know who else you have to put in binds that Notre Dame did not put in any kind of bind last year? What was the one big play Notre Dame had against Ohio State last year? Was it RPO? First play of the game. RPO. Yeah. Right. You have to put the linebackers in stressful situations. And they put they did not put the linebackers in any type of stressful situations last year, in my opinion. And and what they did to, to Oklahoma State is they had a whole month to prepare and they had answers for all those pressures. Right. They had, I mean, they that you have the one play where and this is partly where having a veteran quarterback helps you. Oklahoma State brings up a pressure, they load the box, you know it's coming. Jack Cohn immediately tells Chris Tyree to get to the other side. He makes the check, and all he does is they just leak Chris Tyree out of the backfield because they knew that they didn't have an answer for it because right. teams didn't really go empty. So they leak him out, hit him over the middle, easiest 50-yard touchdown Chris Tyree's ever going to have. Right? Yep. They had answers for those pressures. You need a veteran quarterback to have answers for those pressures, and they didn't last year, and this year they will, in my opinion, and they've got to take advantage. Because And the reason is that the, 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 a veteran quarterback can do exactly what you said, Ryan, get the ball out to the RPOs, yeah. you know, make the reads, put that, but he also can get you out of bad plays. Right. And, and he can get you into good plays if you've got a team out leveraged and that's what having a veteran quarterback could do. And then you just got to hit it, but you've got to be able to run the football though. I mean, that's the big thing is because what did Oklahoma state do in the second half? They came up, they pressed the receivers, they took away the RPO in a quick game and Notre Dame had no answers, none yeah. because they couldn't run the football. And so that's really the big thing, Andrews. You have to be able to – you have to have balance. You're not going to beat Ohio State one-dimensionally, in my opinion. I just – Notre Dame's not anyway. There has to be so. balance. Yep. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply had our next question from Christopher Crosby said the big 12 has a lot of questions to answer this year a lot of even teams chances one to ten Texas Tech ends up winning that conference Ooh. I'd say four I mean I just it's I don't Texas, think they're a there yet. team but yeah yeah, yeah. I, we talked about them Ryan um I did a show the other day um and I know you've got a brand new baby at home so I'm not sure if you had a chance to listen to it but I did a show the other day where I talked about the top 10 non-conference games. And one of them I had was the Oregon-Texas Tech game and, and what that game could mean for the Pac-12 and the Big 12 and all that type of stuff. And But when I look at when I look at their schedule in conference, though, they've got to play at West Virginia, at Baylor, at BYU, at Texas, and at Kansas State. Plus, they have TCU and Kansas State at home and Houston at home. That's going to be really tough, in my opinion, to see them run the table. And, and enough to where they only have like maybe one loss or two losses. Cause what could happen is maybe they have two losses and then they win a rematch in the title game. Kind of like K state did last year. Yep. I could see maybe something like that, 
but I just I don't know that they're going to have um, just the ability to go out there and, and and win those games and make enough stops. I think they're getting better on defense, but I just don't think they're they have the ability to make enough stops to to keep their losses in conference to two or fewer. And I think that's what it takes because again, K State last year only had two losses in conference, they had three overall. They lost to Tulane, only had two in conference. They were able to get a, a rematch in the title game and then go in there and and, and beat TCU, but. That's going to be a little tougher to do this year, in my opinion. Because if you look at Texas, Texas has to play at Baylor, and they have to play at TCU. But they get Texas Tech at home. They get Oklahoma on a neutral field. They get BYU at home, and they get K-State at home. So it's yeah. a little bit more favorable in conference schedule than what Texas Tech has, in my opinion. So that's why I'm Big going. 12. Big 12 is going to be weird in 2023. Yeah. It's going to be fun, I think, Ryan. Yeah. I think it's going to be fun. I, the thing I love about the Big 12, especially now that Kansas doesn't absolutely suck, is yeah. that literally every team in the conference now can beat you on any given Saturday. And if I'll tell you what, if Iowa State doesn't figure some things out, they're going to become the new Kansas because they were um, they were really rough last year offensively. Yeah. It's really rough. Well, and if they I, don't find I, I some think, answers. I, yeah. Well, I think um, I think if – I mean, if I had to pick today, I, I think this actually could be the year that Texas kind of breaks out mm-hmm. a little bit with Sark. And when I yeah. say break out, I mean like – 10 and two, you know, something like that type of thing. But I mean, to your point, I mean, if you ask me who are the other big guys in the, I mean, I would say like everybody's pretty even right now. I mean, Baylor should take a step forward after their a little bit of reloading year last year under Randa. TCU is going to take a step back in my opinion. I think that that's going to happen, but then you have teams like Texas tech and other spots that you just like Oklahoma, like how much of a step forward do they take? Like, it's just kind of a very, muddled conference i could see a lot of right six six seven and five eight and four teams like i can yeah. see a bunch of those and and you're gonna see teams that go five and seven beat a team that plays for the conference title that's what you're gonna see right like i mean that's just the way that this conference is gonna go i think this year which is to me i think it makes it fun i really do i i, I enjoy that I, I i really do i i think and you even look at some of the games last year where there were competitive games i mean k-state wins the big 12 title iowa state was absolutely terrible in conference i think they what like one 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 game in league that's it what they beat west virginia but as bad as iowa state was they lost to kansas by three they lost to k-state by one they lost to texas by three they lost oklahoma state by six they lost to texas tech by four they're they're, they had two quote-unquote blowout losses they lost to oklahoma by two touchdowns and then tcu absolutely destroyed them in the last game 62 to 14 but like ryan there was like six winnable games in there you know and and that's to me what makes a league fun i I don't like leagues where like like the acc was super boring when clemson just murdered everybody and just you know it's like oh that team stayed within 14 points of clemson oh joy it's boring football in my opinion i that's what I'm really looking forward to. I'll be honest with you, Ryan. I am looking forward very much this year to the Big 12 and the Pac-12. Those are going to be fun leagues because there's a lot of quality football teams. And then my my next part of the Big 12 is how do the new teams impact that conference? Like, are they yeah, are they going to kind of go to the bottom half? Can any of them kind of ascend and become new big dogs in the league? You know, I'm, I think Houston's probably going to struggle more than the others. I could be wrong on that. I'm curious to see how UCF does. I'm curious how Cincinnati does, and I really am, am looking – I mean, I think BYU, if they can figure out the quarterback position, could be a team that makes some noise for a potential spot in the Big 12 title game. I, I think they could. Keaton right? Slovis time, line. baby. Yeah. See their quarterback? Time. Yeah. Is, okay, sure I is. take that back. I take all that I said back about BYU. I was not aware that Keaton Slovis ended up picking BYU. 
so yes. I take all that back. But the, you know, they're 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 a quality football team. That's the difference between them and the other teams. Ryan is they've played a lot of Power Five games in the last couple of years and won most of them. So yeah, that's what I like about about them. So good good question, good question. Next question from John Climac. Thank you. John says, hey, if you had to pick just three pump-up songs to listen before a game, what would they be? Oh, man. It's a tough one, actually. Oh, man. Yeah, that is – um. oh, man. If I can only pick three. Oh, my goodness. Um. Okay, so one of my go-to like, pregame songs was Ambitions as a, of a Writer by Tupac. That was always one of one of my, my uh, pregame go-tos. Um, okay uh and uh, was it ambitions by wu-tang oh i can't remember what it was uh i can't remember what there was one of one of Wu in college there was one of the uh wu-tang released an album when i was a senior in high school and it was one of it was their their big album and i forget which one it was i think i forget what the name of the song was but i would listen visions maybe i forget which one it was um but uh i would i would listen to that song a lot and then um uh, Liquid Swords, I think by by Jizza was another one that I used to listen to a lot before games. It was always on my pregame, and that that had been out for a few years when I. But it was just like Jizza just was always had about three or four songs on my hype tape, like because I wouldn't go with like a hype song before a game. Like if I could only listen to it, because eventually you need stuff. Like I I had some stuff. I like get some Busta Rhymes stuff. It'd be like early in my hype tape, like because you know this is back in the day, Ryan, when you had to like you had to literally make a tape. <laughs> I'm old yes. man. Yep. You had to literally make tape, right? So you're hitting rec- play and record and all that. I'd have some of the really get hyped up stuff, you know, Mob Deep, Busta Rhymes, some stuff like that early. But like the second half of my album was like Tupac, Nas. Some of the stuff is a little bit more, um, you know, just a little bit more not as, you know, woo-ha, you know, just like chill, the Busta Rhymes chill. song. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A little bit yep. more, yeah, calming you know, a little bit lyric, not lyrically so much, but just the music. Cause I was more pregame to me was more of the beat, the tempo, the sound than it was what was being said. You know, I wasn't trying to, you know, think of the message being sent in a pregame <laughs> music. It was the beat, the tempo, stuff like that. So that was, that was my deal before a game. Every, everybody probably would hate my selection, but I used to listen to a lot of, Foo Fighters before I would go out and play. Uh, Foo Fighters was a big one. I used to listen to some like just older stuff like ACDC and like that kind of group. But, you know what I mean? If I wanted to chill though, which I did like to chill before games, I would listen to like Modest Mouse or The Killers or something like that. Mm-hmm. I know everyone's going to hate that, but I did like to listen to some of that. I made a I made a highlight tape for Alex Bars a few years ago, Ryan. And I actually put uh, the Foo Fighters song Never Surrender on there. I actually liked that song for hyped for like a, a highlight tape. That's a must, yeah. must have, must have. I've I, seen I, the Foo, I've seen the Foo Fighters in concert twice, man. They're awesome at concert. Yeah, so, so that was yeah. def, that's definitely a good uh, 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 highlight tape thing. Triumph. That was that's what it was. Yep, that's what it was. It was triumph. It, I think is is yeah. That was the one where it's like all like every member had a, a a bar in there. Like every one of them had one in there. That was it. Well, I was so I was yeah. so upset. I was supposed to see the Foo Fighters last year, Brian, and then Taylor Hawkins, their drummer, died like two weeks before the show. I was like, that yeah. is awful. <laughs> so yeah, That's pretty sad. Yeah. Yep. Yes, yeah, very sad for multiple reasons. <laughs> yep, absolutely. I want to get to this because this is something that people are 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 asking a lot about. But here here's what it comes down to. Okay. So let's talk about this. 
Archer452, what's up, Archer? Says, I saw some comments from Jack Swarbrick about intentionally trying to limit number of OSU fans in the stadium for the game. What percentage of the crowd do you expect to be Ohio State fans? I expect a, a very large chunk of it. Because uh, here's the thing. There are definitely things Notre Dame needs to do to limit just the direct sales to Ohio State fans. Fully agree with that. At the end of the day, however, you know who the biggest culprit for why the stadium gets overrun by Georgia fans and Cincinnati fans? It's Notre Dame fans who sell their right, freaking yeah. tickets. That's exactly who's the yeah, fault you can't, of you, you, you can't get mad at the other team's fans for buying tickets that are available, yeah. right? Like, yeah. Well, like, if, if Notre Dame's not doing things to try to make sure they're getting Notre Dame tickets, right. but you know what I would do is I would tell fans, if you sell your Ohio State tickets, right, like we're going to find out. And if you sell your Ohio State and USC <laughs> tickets, we're going to not let you be a season ticket holder anymore. Like that's what I would do. Yep. So you can't buy tickets anymore because you because you know where guys are sitting. You know the seat, right? You can look at it, and and uh, you know it would be a little hard to do, but I would try my best to do, at least throw that right that that thread out there. But the problem is Notre Dame fans. They'll buy season tickets and then just because they want to make money, and that's really what it comes down to. And to a degree, I understand it because you can sell those tickets. I mean, Georgia fans were buying those tickets for in the thousands of dollars per ticket. But at the end of the day, it's like, where's your pride in your team? You know, like, does a thousand bucks mean more to you than being a fan of your team to a lot of Notre Dame fans? Sadly, yeah, it does. It does, yeah, it sadly. Does, yeah. And uh, that bothers me, to be honest with you. But like, look, if you're a Notre Dame fan and you can't sell a ticket or you have a ticket you need to sell, and you don't want to just give it away for the Ohio State game, contact me and I'll sell it to I'll I'll put it on my message board. And that way you know it's only gonna be Notre Dame fans. But at the end of the day, it's Notre Dame fans. That's that's who's that's who that's who's responsible for making sure that doesn't become a sea of red like it was for Georgia and Nebraska. It's a hundred percent, it's ninety percent Notre Dame fans not selling their tickets. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. Um, so I'm so glad that Jack Forbrick's doing yeah. some things. So maybe instead of it being 60% Ohio State, it's only 40% Ohio State, right? But I still expect it to be a very, very big Ohio State crowd because Notre Dame that fans the, will sell their tickets. That was the number I was going to say. Is I mean, if you're asking me to predict, I would say 40% is the number. 40 to 45% will be Ohio State in my Sad, opinion. Sadly, I agree with you on that, yes. line. If it's less than that, yep. especially significantly less than that, I'll be very happy. Very happy. Yep. Next question, which is a super chat from Tyler Evans. Tyler, thank you so much. Which quarterback transfer to schools do you like and some left you scratching your head? Oh, this is a great question. Yeah, I mean, obviously the Sam Hartman was, right? That was that to me was a really, really good move. Um, one that's yeah. not getting talked about a lot that I think was a really good pickup is Brennan Armstrong to NC State. Not that I think he's a great quarterback, but it's rare that a kid transfers to play for a coach whose offense he already knows how to run, right? We saw right. the Caleb Williams running Lincoln Riley's offense. Well, Brennan Armstrong put up some monster numbers under Robert and I two years ago. Now, I don't think he's going to be that per se, uh, but I think he's going to be very good. DJ Uyunglele is another one that I liked a lot, Brian. I liked, I liked State, that yeah. one a lot, yeah. Uh, I actually Hudson liked – Go ahead. I was going to say, I, I liked um, – I actually think that – Devin Leary could be an upgrade at Kentucky over their quarterback situation. And they have yes. Liam Cohen coming back. So if he's he healthy, healthy, I think yeah. pretty well. He can stay yeah. healthy. Yeah. I, I, if he, another guy that if he can stay healthy, 
Phil Dracovic to Pitt is a really nice pickup because again, he's running an offense he already knows, right? He's running, right. he's he's running uh, Colette is uh, I was gonna say Signetti's offense. So I, I like that Signetti, one a, yeah. a lot if he can stay healthy. So those are those are some ones that I thought made a lot of sense. Uh, oh, here's another one that I love that I, not a lot of people are talking about. Uh, you and I have before, but Cade McNamara to Iowa is going to be one of the best yeah. transfers of the process. It's going to be one of the best. Like, right. wow, I did not expect him to be that good. Uh, some ones that I didn't like. I did not. I, I'm not. I'm not a Tanner Mordecai fan, Ryan. I'm just. I'm not. And you look at his numbers against Power 5 teams, not just at Oklahoma, but SMU, and you look at what he did against the best defenses they played, he not only didn't play very well against those teams, he was often bad in those games. Right. I'm just – I'm not I'm not a Tanner Mordecai guy. I, I, I know he yeah. put up numbers, but those weren't even great numbers in that offense, to be completely honest with you. He, he really didn't. I mean, you look at what he did this past year against Cincinnati, 15 of 25 for 105 yards. That's not good. That's not good at all. And they put up good numbers against Maryland and TCU, but he had four interceptions in those two games, and they lost both games, right? Like, I'm just – I'm not a big Tanner Mordecai fan. Uh, the year before against Cincinnati, right, he went 15 of 26 for 66 yards. 66 yards. So I'm just not a big Tanner Mordecai guy. And then Graham Mertz to Florida was one that didn't make yes. a lot of sense to me. He's got a that, that big arm. Say. But yeah. he is the epitome of – People confusing arm strength for arm talent, in my opinion, Graham Mertz. But that's uh, that one didn't make a ton of sense to me. It, it really didn't. What did you think of? Um, well, the, Louisville had a couple guys that that I liked. Uh, I did like Hudson Card as Zach well. Palmer. Yeah, um, I actually hated I like Hudson Allen. Card going to Purdue. You I hated what? Hudson Card going to Purdue. I did not I like, like Hudson it. Card going to Purdue. I like it. I, with, I with, like if, it. If Brom was there, I would have loved it, but yeah. I don't know, man. I'm not sure about that one. Yeah, I, I like that move. I think they needed that kind of quarterback. Uh, Keaton Slovis to BYU. We'll see. I'm just not a big Keaton Slovis fan, to be honest with you. Here's a sneaky one, and it won't matter this year, but it'll matter down the road. Jacoby Criswell going to Arkansas gives them a guy that could take over for um, – KJ Jefferson, if he gets hurt again, I feel a lot better about him stepping into the lineup than the guys they had last year. Here's another one I didn't like: Peyton Thorn to Auburn. <laughs> yeah, I didn't like yeah. that one at all. That that was a, that was a panic move by Auburn. That yes, was a panic move. Yes, it was. Ryan, I'm going to ask you this one because I know this is a guy that you and I have a little bit of a difference of opinion on. At least we did going into the season. Your opinion may have changed after the season, but what did you think of the Jeff Sims in Nebraska transfer? I just don't know what to expect from Nebraska this year is my kind of thing. Like I, 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 if it was second year under Matt rule or third year under Matt rule, I would actually like it a lot. Cause I think Jeff Simmons has a lot of talents and you could, you know, hard, you know, harness that talent, but I just don't know about year one. I think there's going to be a little bit of a transitional period that's going to happen. So I, I'm hopeful for it, but I'm not sure what my expectations are for it right now. You know, one that's actually, Interesting. I don't know if I love it or hate it. Brian is Spencer Sanders working with yeah. Lane Kiffin is going to be interesting. I don't know if it's good. Yeah. I don't know if it's bad. It's just interesting. I have no so, clue what to think of that one, Ryan. I'm there with you. I have no clue what to think of that one. Here's another question I have. How many schools is this going to be for Lane Hatcher? Right. Yeah. Is this going to be well, third or fourth school? I think third. I think third school for okay. Lane. So Arkansas right. State, at, Texas, what, Arkansas, State Texas now? State. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, J- JT Daniels on his fourth school now with Wilfred Rice. Where's he? That's right. He's at Rice. 
Ryan, I saw that kid throw as a sophomore in high school, and I was like, this is one of the best arms I've ever seen in my life. I mean, he was there with Sam Howell. Um, yeah. I mean, he was there with some dudes, and I'm like, he was by far the best thrower of the football. I mean, he was so good in high school. Just just goes to show you got to have it up here, man, and here just as much as you have it right here. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's um, Yeah, that's a different Oh, man. One. Yeah. Uh, what was it? Connor ba- Basilak that was at Missouri. He's somewhere different uh-huh. now too. He was at Indiana last year and he is somewhere. Here. Let's strange. find that one. Cause we'll, we'll see it, it, They'll have uh, it listed here. I'm looking at it, looking for the IU guy. I don't see it on here. Yeah. They don't list where, him on here. So he must've he now. I think he's at like a Mac school now. I don't know. Okay. One minute. I'll here, actually it. I can load more. Oh, he's at uh, Bowling Green. Bowling Green. There we go. Yeah, yeah that's it. Yeah. Mike Wright going to to Mississippi State's a weird one. That is really weird. A run first quarterback yeah. and a pass first offense. <laughs> yeah. 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 That, that was a weird fit. Very weird fit for me. Yeah. Very weird fit. Yeah, oh, sneaky uh, one. Sneaky one. I actually think this hmm. one will be okay long term. I don't know about the short term. Virginia got a kid named Tony Musket, who was an FCS okay. kid. This year, not sure. Two years from now, we'll, we'll talk a little bit. I like Tony Musket. Yeah, somebody else, Baylor got a kid from an FCS school, R.J. Martinez, a kid from Northern Arizona. Hmm. I don't know much about him. Tony Muskin, yeah, I see that one here right now, Ryan. He's, he's, he's talented, a, I didn't man. know this. He's a Virginia kid. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yep. I didn't know that. So, Where did he go to school? He went to Monmouth, Monmouth actually. Hey, I coached yeah. against Monmouth. All right, there yeah. we go. They had Miles Austin man. when I coached against him. We played him in the uh, ECAC Bowl, and when we beat him – the team, we were third. I think Monmouth was one, and the team was ranked second. I think also lost that week. So we jumped up. That's how we won the national championship. We beat Miles Austin and, and Monmouth. Nice. So, yeah, always think of that one. All right. Let's get to uh, some more here, Ryan. We had Christopher Crosby who said, 2025 class is really deep. I'm seeing three to five guys deep at every position that are dudes. Some positions even more. Deepest class since. Oh, boy. Um yeah, it's still it's a little too early for me to start comparing it to 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 those, Ryan. Man, I'd have to think. I thought the 2018 class was pretty loaded, if I remember correctly. Is that the Trevor Lawrence class, mm-hmm. 2018? Yeah, yeah. Because um, it was obviously it was very loaded at quarterback. But just trying to think of like um, other positions, if I Justin remember. Ross was obviously in that class. Yeah. Um, I mean, you had Justin Fields, Amon Ross, St. Brown, Xavier Thomas, Micah Parsons, Patrick Sertan, Jamar Sawyer, Zamir White, Nick Pettit Freire, Adam Anderson. Um, let's see here. Uh, Justin Ross, Jackson Carmen, Justin Shorter, Cade Mays, who James Cook, who's a pretty talented kid, was in that class. Um, Tyson Campbell, heard, KJ Henry. Have you ever heard the Cade Mays story of why he transferred from about um, his dad and all that stuff with losing yeah. a finger or whatever? Yeah. Yes. His dad lost his finger on a folding chair or something so like that wild. at a pep rally. <laughs> like, so, <what>? wild. <laughs> so weird. So weird. Uh, Terrace Marshall was in that class as well. Jalen Waddle, um, Tyreek Smith from Ohio state and Bray Walker. Yeah, that was a pretty good class. Ricky Slade's a kid that I thought was a decent running back before he got hurt. He had some injuries. Luke Ford was in that class. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to, I'd have to go back and look at that one a little bit. I, I still say the best class I ever probably evaluated was the 08 class. 
that was a as far as high school players. Now, there's some guys from that class that ended up not panning out, but man, I thought that was a great class. I, I really did. It was the class that had Terrell Pryor in it. Yeah. Daquan Bowers, I thought was an absolute stud. Mike Adams, Julio Jones, Patrick Johnson, aka Patrick Peterson. Uh, Daryl Scott was a running back from California that I loved. He ended up not panning out. Marcus Forston, Baker Steincooler, A.J. Green, Will Hill, Matt Khalil, Michael Brewster, R.J. Washington. Uh, Tyron Smith was in that class. Um, loved Omar Hunter coming out. Kyle Rudolph, Devere Posey, Michael Floyd. Um, DeAndre Brown would have flat out been a first-round NFL draft pick if he doesn't tear his leg up, if he doesn't break his leg. That was a receiver that went to Southern Miss and had like 1,200 yeah. yards as a freshman. Do you remember that kid, Ryan? Yes. Yep. Jonathan six, Baldwin six, was in that kid. class. I mean, that was a crazy class. And then um, uh, Justin Blackman was in that class, but he was like – one of the servers had him ranked like in the 90s at receiver. Like not even – like, you know, not even – yeah, our, uh, EJ Manuel was in that class. Justin Blackman might be my number one what if wide receiver yeah. in the NFL yep. in history. Like that kid You've was so before. good. Yeah, he and he was. just couldn't get out of his own way, man. Yeah. Like he was just an him idiot. and uh, like, the kid ugh. from Baylor, Josh Gordon. Uh, there's another one like that. Yeah, Josh Ryan Gordon's Williams is in that class. You remember Ryan Williams, the running back the running from back? Virginia Tech? Yeah, yeah, he was in that class. Good player. Norris Jenkins was. Mark Barron was in that class. I mean, that class was loaded. And that's just looking at top hundred guys. Barrett Jones. Like that was a really good class, really good class. Andrew, oh, here's another one. Andrew Luck was in that class. Decent player. Uh, New Mexico Moore was in that class. Yeah, he was pretty good. He was pretty good. <laughs> so that was a pretty good class. Probably 08 is probably the best one I've ever scouted up to this point in time. Just because it wasn't just loaded a receiver, but it was good at a lot of places. It really yeah. was. <laughs>